Recently, the world has been all abuzz about the metaverse and meta, so we wanted to find out just what the hell the metaverse is, so we brought in a friend to find out. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and as this episode drops, I'll be sitting in a movie theater for the first time in over two years. The film that dragged me back? Ghostbusters Afterlife, baby. What can I say? I'm a sucker for the franchise. But you know, it would have been nice if I could have instead visited the movie theater in more of a virtual environment, kind of like, uh, I don't know, a metaverse? Sure, it's a crappy segue, but at least I pointed it out and made it even worse, so there is that. Anyway, we're talking about the metaverse today. Facebook has been making a big deal about it lately, as have some other companies, but Facebook has been the loudest by far. So we've got Russell Holly here to talk about the metaverse. What is it, and why is Facebook stalking it so desperately like a Def Leppard ballad? Plus, we have a long overdue look at a device in the realm of personal transportation, and I say it's overdue because... I got it back in July, and the person who was supposed to test it for me kept breaking. What can you do? And we will get to all of that, but first, we have to get to the news of the week. For the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about the global chip shortage and how it's starting to make an impact on the technology that's readily available today. Apple is making less iPhones, Nintendo is making less Switches, things like that. Wired has a deep dive into this problem in which it rounded up a large number of supply chain analysts and putting aside the fact that there are people out there who get paid a princely sum just to analyze supply chains, well... That's saying something right there. Basically, there are a lot of factors at play here, but the main choke point isn't really in the CPUs and GPUs, you know, the sexy stuff. Rather, the pinch comes in at power control units and chips like that. These are older chips that have their own process to make, but there aren't a lot of factories out there that produce them because, well, they're not sexy and they don't make a hell of a lot of money. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that when the U.S. imposed sanctions on Huawei, because trade wars are easy after all, the rest of China basically freaked the hell out and started hoarding chips in case the U.S. decided to screw over another company. Finally, problem number three is that a lot of companies caught wind of this chip shortage early and started over-ordering the components they wanted to make sure they got what they needed, which really screwed up a lot of things. Now, the good news is, is that new plants are being built as we speak. The bad news is that these plants won't go online until 2024 at the earliest, so yeah... This is going to be a thing for a while, and since you can't even buy a microwave these days without being able to watch Netflix on it, this is going to continue being a problem for quite some time. Speaking of things we talked about last week, the fingerprint sensor on the Pixel 6 had a lot of people concerned, which Google wrote off as them being extra careful. Well, now it seems Google is throwing caution to the wind because a new update available for Pixels had reportedly made the fingerprint sensor much faster and much 
betterer. So that's nice. Personally, I never really had a problem with the fingerprint sensor, so I can't say whether or not things are better for me, but folks on the internet seems to think it is, and good for them. Personally, I think Google was just panicking a little bit when it talked that nonsense about security algorithms and stuff. They should have just come out and said, yeah, we hear you, we're working on it. Because now I have to wonder, what happened to those security algorithms? They didn't seem to be there anymore, so... What gives? Is it possible you just fixed some of the software around the sensor that wasn't optimized, and that's why it was slow before? Yeah, we kind of thought so. Okay there, Daddy Google, you can go now, but let's not get caught up in any more BS, okay? Okay. Speaking of Google, rumors started circulating that the rumored Pixel Fold may have been cancelled, although the cancellation in and of itself is just a rumor, and the phone itself was only a rumor, so there's a rumor that a rumor might have gotten cancelled, although it may have only been a rumor in the first place, which means it was never really a rumor, and it just got unrumored. And this is why I don't report on rumors. Any questions? You know how you pick up that brand new $50,000 car of yours and the automaker hands over the keys and says, have a nice day, and then you hop into the car and go and drive away only to find out, whoops, they forgot to install the engine. Well, gosh, that's going to be hard to use then, isn't it? Well, that's kind of what Tesla has been doing for a while now, not with the engine, but with the USB-C ports in the back seats of cars, as in... There aren't any. Oh, there are holes where the USB-C ports should go, but there are no actual ports. Tesla blames the chip shortage, forcing them to deliver cars that aren't complete, and, um, Tesla? You know you don't actually have to deliver the car until you're done building it, right? Now, Tesla has said that once USB ports come in, they'll happily install them, and it's only going to take like 10 minutes to do it, but you know, no parts, oh well, and that's fine, but Tesla didn't bother to tell some new car owners this until after they got the car home and discovered the missing ports. Some owners were informed in advance, while others were not, and like, what, Tesla, you didn't think they would notice? The point is, you need to let owners know in advance and let them make the decision as to whether or not they want to accept delivery on 99.5% of a car. I guess it turns out that selling cars is hard, and Tesla needs to be rightly called out for this BS, especially since a lot of the missing ports were in the back seat where a car owner isn't likely to sit. Okay, so imagine taking delivery on a Tesla and driving it around for a year before actually noticing that the ports were missing. The kids probably just figured those holes are there for some purpose, but never bothered to ask. And why would the owner sit in the back seat of their own car? And if they did, did they need to charge their phone? So after a year, do these things still get installed for free? Or does Tesla just assume that the owner screwed something up and tried charging them to install the plugs that should have been in there in the first place? So really, the moral of the story is Tesla... Don't deliver a car until it's done, or at least get your communications team kicked into high gear. Oh, and before you think this is me hoping that Tesla's going to fail, it's not. This is just Tesla screwing up. There's a difference. Do you remember a couple years ago when Epic decided to sidestep the Google Play Store and use its own app launcher? You probably do, but what you might not remember is that very soon after that app launcher came out, Google announced that the installer slash launcher thing was flawed with a pretty serious security flaw. I looked it up. I don't really understand the complexity behind the flaw, but basically it was a backdoor that could allow a malicious agent to install any app they wanted in place of Fortnite. 
somehow. I don't speak code, but I linked to an old Android Police article that outlines the process. So it turns out that Google was able to find that bug so quickly because it formed an air quotes Fortnite task force, which met daily to address Epic Games skipping the App Store. It turns out that Google found this vulnerability and released it just seven days after it was identified, rather than a more typical 90 days given to a developer to fix it. Epic had already fixed the bug, so overall it wasn't really a big deal, but it did come off as slimy at the time. And the legal filing that highlights Google's Fortnite task force just shows how petty Google was when Epic decided to skip the store and miss out on paying Google its 30% revenue share. Epic claims that this was done to discourage other app developers from going out on their own, like, oh, look here, Epic couldn't get its crap together, so you all should be super careful with stuff like this. Wouldn't want to have a vulnerability in there that could be exploited. I mean, seriously, this is like one step short of, hey there, that's an awful nice app you have there. It'd be a shame if anything bad happened to it. I mean, really, this Epic Games legal stuff does spit out some interesting gems every now and then, doesn't it? I've got popcorn, and I can't wait to see what comes out next. This next one is one of those holy crap stories that really only has one holy crap fact, but not a lot of other substance. Google announced that it's raising the maximum number of participants in Google Meet to 500 attendees, and just like, holy crap! See, that was it. I'm just trying to imagine having 500 participants in the same meeting. Of course, I'm still trying to imagine having more than 10 watching a Beyond the Down live stream. And indeed, for some companies, the only way to have an all-hands meeting is to do some kind of live stream, like a private YouTube stream or something like that. But now they can have 500 of their closest friends all hanging out together. Also, this increases up from a previous maximum of 250, which if you ask me would be basically as unmanageable. So really, this isn't much of a story, except now you can have 500 participants in a meeting as long as you hate those 500 people and productivity. Otherwise, go crazy. Pew Research has apparently gotten really bored lately because it released a study of Twitter and tweets this week. It turns out that a minority of Twitter users produce the majority of tweets on the platform. About one quarter of adults in the U.S. use Twitter overall, which is not all that surprising. But what is surprising is that 97% of tweets on the platform are made by just 25% of the users. And I'm fairly sure I'm in that 25%, by the way. What's even more interesting is that of the 97% of tweets, 80% of those are either retweets or replies, with original tweets making up just 14%. I think most of my tweets are original, but I'm not sure in which category to put the quote tweets. Pew also went on to say that most people average around 37 likes per month and usually just one retweet, so there's not a ton of engagement going on there, and yes... Can confirm. This leads to the study author saying that basically people on Twitter are most likely just talking to themselves, and once again, can confirm. But in my case, I don't think that's 100% accurate. I do hold conversations with people on Twitter because that's where a lot of my friends hang out, so I wouldn't say Twitter is an empty experience, but then again, and I'm also among the top 25%, so Twitter seems like a jump in place to me, but, you know, that's probably just me. And in the most shocking news of the week, month, and possibly of the year, Apple, I'll say that again, Apple announced what amounts to a DIY shopping spree for people who want to fix 
their own phones. Yes, Apple will let you fix your own broken screen on an iPhone. Seriously, I checked. It is not April 1st. In fact, we're about as far from April 1st as you can be. So this seems legitimate. Last week, Apple announced that independent repair shops would be able to fix iPhone screens without having to also transfer over the microcontroller attached to those screens. And this week, Apple said, hold my beer to itself and said, screw it. Anyone can fix their screen if they want to. We don't care. Apple will be opening a new self-repair online store that will carry parts, tools, and manuals for fixing some parts of the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 12. Now, you won't be able to repair anything you want. The program focuses on the most common issues like screen and battery replacement. Apple also won't say what happens if you screw something up, nor does it say what will happen to your warranty if you try. But honestly, just the fact that it's going to sell you parts to do it is amazing. Of course, this is also the company who brought you the $19 polishing cloth, so I hope you're ready for a hundred dollar screwdriver but this can't be seen as anything other than a win for consumers and the right to repair movement actually this isn't a win for right to repair so much as it's running in the last touchdown and going home and marrying the prom queen for the right to repair movement this is honestly about as good as it gets and before you ask i've checked with various sources but i have not yet been able to confirm whether hell has actually frozen over or not yet i'll have to get back to you on that one This week saw the launch of a newest season of Star Trek Discovery featuring Captain Michael Burnham and Lieutenant Sylvia Tilly aboard the USS Discovery. This new season starts as the Federation is trying to bring some new planets into the fold. And I won't give any any spoilers here, but the first episode sets up an interesting story right out of the gate, so you should go check it out. It's releasing new episodes every Thursday on Paramount Plus or the artist formerly known as CBS All Access. Also, another PSA if you're a T-Mobile subscriber subscriber in the U.S., you can get a year of Paramount Plus for free, and then you can watch Discovery and Picard Season 2 and Star Trek Prodigy if you're into cartoons, which I'm not. Sorry. Anyway, go check that out on T-Mobile.com and start watching Star Trek Discovery because it's kind of awesome. And finally, the nerd world basically lost its collective crap several months ago when Disney announced that it had developed a retractable lightsaber toy with a glowing blade that extends out from the hilt, like, you know, a real lightsaber. I actually reported on this back on April 18th, if you want to go re-listen to that episode. Anyway, Disney further revealed that the first people that would get to see these things were going to be on the Disney Galactic Cruise that cost $5,000 or something like that, and just no thank you. But we learned this week that even people paying that much of a premium will not be able to actually touch the lightsaber. It's going to be a prop used by characters in the experience, but normals won't be able to use it or even touch it. And look, I get it. This thing is probably a pain in the butt to build and use in a fashion that won't break it within minutes. I totally get that. But so was the Galaxy Fold, and Samsung still put that in the hands of anyone who ponied up $2,000 for the privilege. So honestly, Disney, just sell the thing, but with the same set of disclaimers that Samsung sold the Fold with. Just say, hey bro, pay attention. Look in my eyes right here, right here. Okay, now, this thing is going to break if you sneeze on it wrong. Seriously, don't have a sword fight with it, don't let your stupid brother or his ugly kids touch it, and really, try not to... 
you know, wave it around too much when it's open. Just turn it on, turn it off. Up, down, dunzo. That's it. Now just hand over the $2,000 and you can take this stupid thing, which you should not buy, and take it home and show it off to all your friends. Oh, and by the way, don't bring it back when you break it. All sales are final. Still want it? Okay. Have a nice day. Backend application API bugs attachment DevOps backend frameworks backward compiling oriented natural language software blue text editor bookmark Boolean operator welcome to Tech Yeah. This week for Tech Yeah, we're taking a look at the Swagtron Swagboard T580 Warrior Hoverboard. And there's so many words in that name that I just want to go into full Swagtron Swagboard T580 Warrior Hoverboard. I've had this in my possession for almost five months now, and I kind of feel bad that I haven't reviewed it up until now. My main problem is... I kind of exceed the weight limit, so I had to rely on my daughter to ride this for me. The only problem there is she's broken six bones since that time, none of which were related to the hoverboard, mind you. But she hasn't really been able to ride it up until recently, so now that she has, I can share some thoughts. First, an overview. If you've seen a hoverboard, you kind of know what the Warrior looks like. It's a flat board with pressure plates on either side that control the movement of the board. Lean forward, you go forward. Lean backward, you go backward. You get a ton of maneuverability as long as you can keep your balance. And for my daughter, the gymnast, that's easy. For my son, the couch potato gamer, it's also actually kind of fairly easy. For a 44-year-old fat guy, not so easy. The swag board comes with bottom-mounted lights basically everywhere, a Bluetooth speaker, and infinity wheels. Infinity wheels are basically lined with LED lights on the inside of the wheel, and there's a mirror in there which reflects the lights indefinitely. It's kind of hard to describe, so check out the photos at benefitofadow.com. The speaker and lights are bottom-mounted, plus there's additional lights on the front for illumination while riding. This board has basically like 30 lights mounted throughout, and the lights can sync to the music, which is actually kind of cool. The wheels have a grippy texture that makes this suitable for a bit of off-roading, though I probably wouldn't recommend a lot of that if you can avoid it. We did take the hoverboard out into the field a time or two, and it behaved quite well, even managing inclines I'd estimate are about 10 degrees or so. The tires will give you more grip than a typical road tire will, but it's more of a better-to-have-it-and-not-need-it kind of a thing. One area where hoverboards in general got a bad rep was in the area of batteries, and Swagtron thinks they have this issue solved with what they're calling the safest hoverboard battery. They are not using typical lithium-ion batteries, but rather they're using a lithium-phosphate battery, which combines the long life of lithium-ion with the safety of a sealed lead-acid battery. They're a bit more expensive than the others, but Swagtron thinks it's worth it to have a safer battery. And by the way, Swagtron is right. According to Swagtron, lithium phosphate batteries can last up to 30 times more charging cycles than lithium ion batteries, and they won't combust or burn up. Plus, they can be stored for a long time and not lose energy. They're not as energy dense as a lithium ion, but it's a fairly good trade off. The board tops out at 
7.5 miles per hour, so there are faster boards out there. If you're in a hurry, you know, maybe just take a car, just saying. As for battery life, we got just short of an hour's worth of driving off and on before we had to recharge, and that included some hills as well. So if you're on a flatter surface, it might last longer for you. So now we get to the price, and it's $219, which, all things considered, is very not bad. It's a little bit more expensive than the cheapest hoverboards out there, but for the market, it's a very fair price. Overall, I dig it, and I wish I could lay off the damn Twinkies long enough to ride it for myself. As it is, you can pick one up if you want. I have a link at BenefitOfADoubt.com, so give it a look and stick it in a stocking this holiday season, just so long as it's a very, very large stocking. Facebook, the crappy company run by terrible people, has thrown all of its considerable weight behind the idea of a metaverse. Much like the blockchain cryptocurrency hype train from a couple years ago, numerous other companies and tech pundits are coming out with their own definitions of the metaverse. From Microsoft to Roblox to NVIDIA to... What, hasn't Wendy's announced a metaverse yet? A lot of other companies are either building their own versions of a metaverse or pledging support to... Whatever metaverse actually shows up. So, since VR looks to be at least a part of the upcoming metaverse, we are talking to our resident VR expert, Russell Holly, about what all this is and what all this means. Russell Holly, welcome back to the podcast. Hello there. It's good to have you back. You know, it's been a year. I didn't realize that it had been has like it been a, full a full year. year. My goodness. Time doesn't yeah, matter it was, anymore. I know. Time has no meaning. It was September. So, I looked it up because I figured. I probably should do that, but that means that this podcast has existed long enough to have return visitors. Always a good so thing. So that's, it is a good thing. So what brings us together today is the, I guess the announcement, air quotes announcement of the metaverse by Facebook. And so that's kind of sparked the flame of the latest metaverse, um, the me latest metaverse train. So I want to talk to you about like what it is and where we're going and are we all going to be living in our headsets soon? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a few things going on there, right? The first is, um, the concept of a metaverse is, is not actually new. Um, right. The industry has been trying to settle on a name for this, uh, for some time now. Uh, we had VR and AR, and, and then there were people who were like, well, it's really more of a spectrum of devices and experiences, so we need kind of a more encompassing name. There was an effort for a while there to call it XR, uh, where you were kind of extending reality, and, and so it was you know kind of an encompassing thing, and that uh, didn't catch on. There were several other kind of smaller attempts to, uh, to give it a name, and, and Metaverse uh, had been kind of growing in popularity in smaller circles for a while now, and Facebook has kind of taken that and run with it. Yeah. So, like, to be clear, in uh, in very typical, you know, kind of Facebook fashion, this is not an original concept. Uh, this <laughs> is just one that Facebook is aiming to capitalize on. Sure, sure. So, and so, like, what? So, the idea of the metaverse. I mean, I, I've seen a couple of different definitions of it. One is like uh, a lot of people keep talking about like Web three point um, Another thing that people are talking about are like you said, the extended reality or the augmented reality, like almost like stuff that we've already kind of sort of seen at this point. So, like, I guess why what why now like what's the is it just because they want to cover up bad pr or is there have there been advancements that like make this much more feasible than they were say you know five years ago yeah i mean little column a little column b the the first you know yeah. from kind of the the technical perspective 
Um, yeah, we're, we're seeing emerging technologies, uh, Qualcomm's uh, Snapdragon glasses uh, that are kind of on display at a couple of different places over the last couple of weeks. Um, are, are demonstrating a lot of kind of combined potential um, where, you know, a lot of the industry as a whole is moving towards glasses that you can wear all the time in order to do different things, not necessarily constant VR, but, you know, the, the kind of mix of stuff. We know that mm -hmm. Apple's been working behind the scenes on this. We know that Google's been working behind the scenes on this. And Facebook has been very loud about their progress. Uh, and and that is kind of leading to the second part is that is that, you know, Facebook now meta um, is very well aware that all of these other companies are operating silently. So if they make as much noise as possible all of the time, then everything that comes next gets compared to that. And if you okay. take a look at the experience over the last two years, we've actually seen Facebook be extremely successful at that. The, uh, the, the Quest and the Quest 2 headsets are sold at a loss. Uh, you know, Facebook does not make money off of the, the hardware and the, the software developers, uh, you know, take a pretty sizable chunk of the app revenue home uh, when, when they sell apps uh, in, in that kind of smaller app store. Um, and as a result, it, like there is no ecosystem right now that, that compares to it. Um, you know, if, if Apple were to launch a set of glasses tomorrow, the first question from a lot of hardware reviewers would be how much is it going to cost and does it run Beat Saber? <laughs> and that's the thing, like Oculus, uh, you know, when Oculus got absorbed into Facebook, Facebook started buying not just, uh, you know, kind of the, the patent technologies that go into things, but also the, the underlying app developers themselves. Um, yeah. You know, Beat Saber, uh, there are several fitness applications, there are a couple of really exciting uh, kind of gaming teams um, that Facebook, Facebook's acquired all of them. Um, all yeah. of the most popular apps now, uh, <laughs> they're... They're, uh, they're either designed in-house by Oculus or they were acquired recently um, and, are, and are now a part of this larger organization called Meta. And it is now very, very easy for Facebook as a company to, uh, when, when Google or Apple kind of step out of the, the, the darkness and say, hey, we've made this, this headset, check this out. Facebook can say, look, we're cheaper. We have all the games you like and all your friends are already here. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's uh, it is it's a long term play. The you know the the rebranding as Meta is uh, is is that kind of flag in the dirt. Like it's it is the you know there's not much here yet, but no matter what comes next, it's going to be compared to us. So we as long as we keep making as much noise as possible, uh, and and continuing to kind of sell at a loss, everything else is going to seem out of touch. Right. And so the, then the, the question that remains is if Microsoft and Google and Apple and all, all these other different companies are building their own metaverse sci, then what is going to happen when Facebook launches its metaverse or it has already kind of launched it? What's going to happen when, you know, like you said, what's the answer to the question? Does it play Beat Saber? I guess. Are, are they going to work together? I guess is the big This has to be the big question. Yeah, I mean, uh, in some level, uh, you know, I'm sure that the goal is to eventually have all of this stuff work together. But you can you can clearly see, you know, the Ray Bans don't play Beat Saber, right? Right. So you know, it's uh, there. there are, it's it's going to be different strokes for different folks, and and in some cases, uh, some of the competition is already doing that. HTC released a, a, a new set of Vive glasses, um, and they're actually calling them glasses uh, this this past month, um, and they're. They're not the kind of dynamic gaming headset experience that you you put on. It's it's actually 
um, a, a much lighter weight, a much more casual experience, and it's designed for people who want to wander through Google Maps or you know catch a, a, a you know a meeting in VR with someone or mm-hmm. you know be on a flight and want to watch a movie without having a flight attendant come and bother them or having to hold a tablet up. Like it's it's all of these kind of casual observation experiences, and it's a really cool concept uh, from from a hardware perspective. But as soon as it came out, uh, you know it's it's six hundred bucks. It is right. uh, it is twice the the cost of the the kind of base model uh, quest two the meta quest um, yeah so and and it's so it, it's an it's kind of an impossible situation here because uh, you know Facebook can always I mean they're they're one of the biggest companies on the planet they can always compete on price when it comes to the metaverse like one criticism that i've seen very very prevalent is that when you're as as compared to the internet the internet is something that you can kind of jump into and jump out of fairly easily you can sit down at a computer you can pick up a phone and similarly you can get up and walk away from your computer or you can set down your phone and walk away so one of the criticisms that i hear about the metaverse is that this is not going to be the type of quick in and out type situation that we're that we're accustomed to, and I wonder if there's going to be resistance to the metaverse because of that. So there's an animated series uh, called Sword Art Online. It's all uh, it's all kind of like VR and AR and stuff. Um, and the reason that I bring it up, it's it's actually one of my favorite kind of visual examples to how this could possibly look in the future, um, is that there are people who wear. Uh, you know, kind of glasses all day long, and it gives them these kind of surface level notifications. Like instead of having a phone, it's, you know, kind of just a casual interface for things. If you want GPS, it'll, you know, kind of give you turn by turn directions and stuff like that. It's not a gaming system, really. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like kind a of, minority report kind of thing going on there. Yeah, so it's it's that kind of uh, that kind of passive interface. Um, but when yeah. you when you want to play a game, you, you put on the full dive helmet. And you go and like you get this like you know all of the, the haptic feedback and the you know all of the sensory mm. responses and stuff um, in order to to do those things. Um, so that kind of switch between passive and and immersion um, is is kind of the best way that I can see it being explained. Now, this raises. Two problems. One is that I just described a, a large portion of people possibly owning two different, potentially very expensive headsets that they kind of switch, switch back and forth between all day, every day. Um, mm-hmm. And on the one hand, that sounds ridiculous. On the other hand, you have a $1,000 television in your living room, and you have a very nice computer sitting in front of you, and you have a phone in your pocket that was probably around the same price. And the concept here is removing all of those things. And having okay. this this kind of and this is again we're talking like ten years in the future here, um, yeah. you know, kind of having that that kind of um, instead of these individual appliances for all of these different activities, you're you're kind of dropping it down to one or two, um, mm. and the you know the the amount of money you'd be able to put in would be the the kind of experience that that you want. So really, what you're looking at is. You can either have someone who is more interested in, in the kind of passive phone style experience and you can have the person who is uh, switching back and forth when they're trying to do something more immersive in gaming. But it's unlikely that we will have a situation where someone sits down at a desk and puts like a Quest 2 on and completely covers their eyes and sits that way for nine hours and works at a job and then gets up and puts a different thing on and walks away. Like that seems not just unlikely but unsafe. Um <laughs> You know, for, and for, coming from you, the, for, you're the expert at that. So yeah, because uh, so, you have actually done that. 
It's not. Yeah, I don't recommend it. It's not not a fun time. Right now, one thing I wanted to point out, since we're kind of kind of walked into it, was I I, I tweeted this to you the other day. Uh, Joanna Stearns uh, from the Wall Street Journal spent 24 hours in a um, an Oculus or sorry a Quest Two headset, and one of the th- parts and the, the main reason she was doing that was she wanted to explore the metaverse as it exists today, and she attended a couple of meetings with avatars you know the way we the way we're talking about them now and one one impression that she had was it actually did kind of make her feel a little bit more there like a little bit more interactive with the other people in the meetings because there was an avatar to um associate with and at one point she went to a comedy club and the the comedian started flirting with her avatar or something like that it was kind of weird um but anyway so but it did give her it seemed to give her more of a of an awareness of presence inside of a meeting that something like a zoom call uh leaves off and so I, i is there i think there's value there is, There's absolutely value there. But again, what, what you're describing is, is kind of a purpose-built application. Like you show up to accomplish a thing and your avatar is useful for that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that situation, it's great. It is not a, it's not a 10 to 12-hour thing. Like you, you jump right. into an avatar form to accomplish a task or to, you know, to, to feel like you're a bigger part of something. Um, and there's, there's value in that, you know, the, you know, the alt space comedy clubs and, uh, you know, kind of the, the entertainment factor of, of, of that. And then, you know, being a part of a, a big meeting, those are all really useful. Um, yeah. but they're, they're purpose built applications. They're not a, they're not a permanent, you know, kind of, uh, sense of existence. Enjoying this interview? Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. That's benefitofthedoubt.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadoubt.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. So, like, I guess the question is, are we actually going to live in a metaverse or is it just going to be something that we use like Zoom? Yeah. So, I mean, I I don't think it'll be quite as uh, as kind of one was as kind of one note as zoom. Um, but the way that I would, you know, kind of zoom or Fortnite or whatever, (laughs) Yeah, the the way that I would imagine this, uh, you know, would, would work the way I would want it to work. Let's, let's kind of try and drive it this way is, uh, you know, I, uh, I wake up in the morning, I come, you know, I, I get ready to start my work day. I sit down at my desk and I put on a set of glasses and that set of glasses is now rendering multiple two dimensional screens for me to kind of operate within. 
these screens can kind of be whatever I want. I can I can kind of engage them in, in whatever way I choose. They can follow me around as I you know as I wander through my house to accomplish tasks. And I am very much not, you know, kind of in a virtual state during that. I am I am working, you know, kind of at right. home and not terribly different from the experience that I have now. I get a notification that says, hey, there's a meeting happening in five minutes. Uh, you know, and and my glasses flip over from this purely augmented experience to something that's more virtual. Maybe the glasses tint, for example, uh, and and the images change to that kind of virtual, you know, presence, uh, you know, augmented, mm-hmm. you know, thing where that where that begins. Um, that's kind of the way that I see that. Whereas we've got all of these, you know, kind of these. Uh, I mean, let's just call them apps, really, because that's what we call yeah. them now. So yeah. you know. I, you know, I, I see this more as kind of the avatars being useful when I'm in an app with someone uh, versus something that I'm constantly existing as. Okay. And so is the metaverse then going to be a series of apps that you jump into and jump out of as needed as we encounter those purpose-built applications? So like, is my metaverse... So for example, is my son teenage son's metaverse going to be a combination of a... A chat app, a, a classroom application to go to school, and Fortnite where he's going to hang out with his friends, and you know maybe uh, another set of glasses that he can like put a TV up in front of when he's you know not doing his homework like he should be. God damn it! Would you please just finish that goddamn Spanish test? <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, is that kind of what we're 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 looking at there then? Yeah, I feel like that's that's the direction that a lot of these companies appear to be aiming towards, you know, and uh, okay. and there's there's some caveats to that. Um, you know, Facebook in their presentation, they were talking about how they wanted to build a metaverse uh, where people could come and build things. Um, but to be clear, it is not Facebook's intention to connect to existing things that are not a part of Facebook's ecosystem. You They're know, not so going to have like VR, a Facebook Roblox, right? Or something. So, like you know, Alt Space VR is a is a tremendously popular kind of third party experience inside of VR where you can go and it was where Joanna went and saw a Comedy Club and you know some some mm-hmm. of these other kind of experiences. Um, Facebook's not going to to make a a way for people to go to Alt Space from within the Facebook metaverse. Like it's you know they they will invite the Alt Space people to come and build something over there. Uh, in mm-hmm. which case you you're uh, I guess it's more akin to Apple's kind of walled garden ecosystem where you you can come and build whatever you want over here, uh, as but it, but it has to be over here, right? Um, right. And there was actually a recent comment by one of the uh, I think it was the CTO for for the Meta Group um, about how uh, how opposed to the concept of modding a metaverse uh the that team currently is Mm. um you know so the 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 goal here is very much to create this closed ecosystem for people to come and build things inside of and and be different from the thing that google is building and different from the thing that apple is building and uh and that feels bad I was going to say on a, on a, that that feels uh, very much the opposite of you know kind of the open XR conversations that were had a couple of years ago and yeah. the kind of Web 3.0 stuff that we hear about in other places. Like what Facebook is building is very much the next version of a walled garden. Uh, mm. 
Right. And I kind of wonder, like, what we're going to uh, – so, so I wonder if – I mean, because right now we're living in kind of like a two-operating system world with iOS and Android. I kind of want – is that going to be like what the VR experience is? And are we going to have – 20 years from now, are we going to have, um, you know, Facebook – I am making stuff up here because it's 20 years from now, but are we going to have Facebook fanboys clamoring for Apple to allow iMessage into uh, Facebook, into the Facebook, the, the, the VR equivalent of iMessage into the VR equivalent of Facebook's metaverse? Is that, is that what we're all headed towards is just another two, two horse race? I mean, right now it's a one horse race, but yeah. I mean, is that kind of? Yeah, is I mean, that kind of I really hope not. I genuinely yeah. hope not. But um, if you look at the market as it stands right now, Apple has a massive ecosystem of developers willing to support it at the drop of a hat, mm-hmm. um, and and Facebook has acquired a large quality, you know, quantity of uh, of developers that are now willing to support it because that's where it's that's where its bank accounts are plugged in. Um, right. Google has neither of those. Right. Uh, right. You know, so um, it, it could very well become a two horse race that is not Google and Apple, but is instead Facebook and Apple. Wouldn't it be great if Apple could just corner the market on two different, uh, <laughs> two different, uh, um, I guess, what would you call this? Um, two different operating systems, maybe? I don't know. I, what what would we call this? Like, I mean, is it an operating system I guess, or two different? Yeah, I mean, I guess it would just be like the Apple metaverse and the Facebook metaverse, and maybe that's just the name that we're going to be stuck with. Yeah, so I mean, my only hope here is that uh, Apple uh, really pulls it together and, and just calls it iOS, uh, as long as it's spelled E-Y-E. Uh, I oh. really think that that would just... <laughs> that, that would that be would amazing. Make, make my Christmas. That would be amazing. The iOS metaverse and then the iOS rest of the verse. Yeah, it's Apple Glass very, is running iOS. Like, very, I think it would be amazing. Very Seinfeld, Seinfeldian. But um, all right, so um, you know, I think we're. I think we we can go ahead and start kind of wrapping wrapping things up here a little bit. So like, so is the future of the metaverse seems to be competing ecosystems, which is not awesome. But can you envision? Can you envision any type of way that maybe we can get all these things to work together? Or are we all just going to have to have like like an Android phone and an iPhone? Or are we going to have to have a, uh, an, an, um, a Facebook headset and then like an everyone else headset or the whoever else headset, I guess I should call it at this point. So is that kind of what we're headed towards? It depends. You know, uh, there there is some hope that uh, some open standards will come from this and that it'll be easier for some some kind of cross-population uh, between experiences. That's not happening right this second, so it's a little hard mm-hmm. to, to be excited about it right this second, but it's not impossible. Uh, you know, up until very, very recently, um, you know, the, the Quest 2 worked very well with things on the PC and it worked very well with kind of side-loaded things. Um, yeah. And we've seen some closing of that, some limitations that have come uh, in, you know, the, the last year. Um, but is it's clear that you know they're not completely shutting out open standards. So okay, you know it's it's not impossible. Steam is still one of the most popular experiences uh, on a Quest Two, especially to play things uh, that are that are kind of limited to that. Um, for okay. example, uh, Half Life uh, Alex, um, hmm. you know, very cool experience. It is uh, 
widely played on the Quest 2, even though it is not a uh, something you find in the Oculus Store. So um, gaming examples are, are not always great, uh, especially given you know some of the, the productivity things that we've been talking about. So it will yeah. ultimately depend on you know how hard the people inside these companies push for open standards. Okay, so and it kind of it kind of seems like the metaverse, at least as it's going to exist in the somewhat near future, is going to be the type of experience that you kind of pop in and out of, rather than something that is like all encompassing, twenty four hours a day, um, on your face. Un- at least until we see those um, AR glasses being developed by whoever that actually have like all day battery life and don't look, you know, and aren't like a Google Glass. Yeah, Take I mean, two. <laughs> realistically, we are at least two years away from glasses that you'll be able to wear for, let's say, an entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, and by which I mean the same way that your phone works an entire day, where, you know, you still have to kind of charge it at times and, and things like yeah. that. Um, we're, we're probably two years away from that being something that functionally exists. I would be surprised if we have a version that is consumer affordable uh, within three years. Um, it really feels like this is something that uh, will reach people like my sister, not exactly the, you know, kind of the most tech literate people on the planet um, in about five years. I'm going to tell her you said that. I tell her I said it all the time. I regularly <laughs> oh, fair enough. like, hey, okay. you're my favorite Luddite example on things. And she's like, that's fair. I dropped my phone in the toilet yesterday. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. So, all right. Um, well, Russell Holly, I uh, just wanted to, uh, you know, once again, thank you. I think there, I, this, I think we barely scratched the surface here. So, like, there's well, that's a, the thing. A whole so lot. is the entire industry, right? Like, that's, right. There, there is no deep dive to be had here because we're all still in the same shallow end of the pool. Yeah, we're all still shrugging our shoulders and high fiving each other with emojis that we thought we were actually praying. So, um, all right. So, I mean, so I, this is definitely something that I think we're going to have to uh, circle up on again on maybe in another year or so, see where we are. But uh, for now, um, let's go ahead and roll out the red carpet for you. You can tell everybody how they can find you on the internets and maybe even how to find you on the metaverse if you're so inclined. But uh, yeah, so. The floor is yours, sir. Yeah, so I'm uh, at Russell Holly on Twitter. It's the kind of best way to find my kind of stream of consciousness uh, mess. Um, and if you are interested in uh, more nerdier pursuits, uh, I do a bunch of Star Wars stuff uh, in on Instagram and uh, TikTok at Cantina Kitchen. Cantina Kitchen. All right. You know, I didn't. I did not know that. So I'll have to follow you on the TikToks yeah. because that's a thing, right? That is a thing. <laughs> Okay. All right. Then I will, uh, I will do that thing. And in the meantime, live long and prosper. Uh, but anyway, so no, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, wrap things up and say thank you for coming on and uh, for giving us, lending us your expertise on the metaverse such as it exists today. So uh, thank you again, and uh, we'll have you on again soon sometime. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you later. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would leave a review for the show. You can write to the show by emailing host at benefitofadow.com or by visiting benefitofthedow.com slash contact. I'd like to thank Russell Holly for coming on and teaching us all about the metaverse and all the awesome or terrible things to come. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening 
and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.